4: In just 10 minutes a day, Chicago's All Local delivers a power packed punch of hyper local news straight to your ears. Make Chicago's All Local a habit. Text WBBF to 20357 for a link to listen to the All Local. Message and data rates may
5: apply. Welcome to Odyssey Conversations,
6: the state of downtown. Tonight we're looking at what has traditionally been the heartbeat of a region. From New York to Los Angeles, Dallas to Minneapolis, even right here in Chicago, downtown has been the cultural center. The hub for business, retail, and politics. Tourists flock to downtowns. Business leaders jockey for the best office space. And culture, nightlife, and restaurants have led people to make downtown their homes. But a lot has changed. The pandemic hit. More people started working from home and continue working remotely. Protests in the wake of George Floyd's murder created challenges for downtown retail. Inflation continues to pressure businesses. Crime, homelessness, the need to shelter migrants, interest rate hikes, just one, uh, just many, many, many challenges facing America's downtown. I'm Cisco Cotto from WBBM in Chicago. Tonight we're discussing the back to work debate. We'll talk to small business leaders investing in downtown, break some common myths, and we'll also get the crystal ball out looking at what downtown is going to look like in the future. It's all happening tonight on Odyssey Conversations, the state of downtown. Let's start with what is maybe the most important conversation happening about downtown today, the back-to-work debate. It is at a fever pitch. Some companies have closed their expensive offices. They're allowing more work from home. Others are demanding employees come back to work, and they want to be here the whole week. Joining us now, Michelle Reisdorf. She's district president at Robert Half International. More than 400 offices all around the world. We are also joined by Christopher Berry, faculty director of the Mansueto Institute for Urban Innovation at the University of Chicago, working with colleagues all across the country analyzing downtown trends. Let's begin with you, Chris. I want to talk about downtown in general and historically what is downtown supposed to be? Why is it so important that we have downtowns all around the country that are really thriving?
7: Well, I think the question of what downtown's supposed to be is one that's had different answers over time, and I think that's why I'm still encouraged myself about the future of downtown. Downtowns are often referred to as a central business district, suggesting there's business, but the nature of that business has shifted a lot over time. At one point, downtowns were centers of production, but increasingly they've become centers of ideas and centers of consumption. And I think what we're seeing now is part of that transition that was accelerated via the pandemic as we now have less work taking place downtown, although still plenty of it happening. Uh, And so that's why I say, I think it's really a question of the next phase of downtown as opposed to, you know, what is it supposed to be 20 years ago versus what is it going to be uh, in the coming years? And as I said, I'm still optimistic about that.
6: Michelle, downtown's not only in the US, but all around the world, these huge office towers, and there was a point not that long ago where they were just bustling with people, now much less so. Uh, and Robert Half, you're talking with colleagues all around the country and all around the world. What, what sort of trends are you seeing in in people either going to the office maybe a few days a week or, or maybe not at all anymore?
8: Yeah, I think the number one trend we see right now is the hybrid work environment. I think it's definitely here to stay You know, um, coming out of the pandemic, almost all companies were remote, where now we see most of the clients that we work with, 10% or less are 100% remote. So, And 10% or less are 100% on site. So you have this large dynamic of, you know, 80% of clients that want their employees in office two, maybe three days a week.
6: And what are they saying as to the reason for that? Why are they, if employees say, we want to be at home, you know, we, we don't want to have to make that commute, why are the employers saying, no, there's a benefit to you actually being in the office?
8: Actually, you know, we see production levels increase when employees are, are together. You know, overall, people are better together. Collaboration increases. A lot of employees are worried about their employment opportunities, their promotion opportunities when they're not in person, And then there's a whole workforce, the Gen Z workforce, that very much craves social interaction, and being together is important to them. And so if you want to retain top employees, which is very important right now in today's environment, it's a very candidate short market, you want to retain employees, you've got to have a mix of both.
6: Yeah, you have to do what they want in, in some respects. Uh, Chris, let's talk about the economic development impact. Uh, You have fewer people coming to the office at all, fewer people coming down Monday through Friday, and yet there's an economic necessity if you're going to keep restaurants going, if you're going to keep some of that nightlife going. If people are not here as much, there's not as many dollars being brought to, to downtowns all around the country
7: you're absolutely right and a lot of uh, folks have raised the specter of the so-called urban doom loop which says that if fewer people are coming into the office then all those kinds of businesses that depend on office traffic as you said restaurants uh, entertainment and whatnot that depend on having that traffic those businesses start to decline when people aren't coming to the office and then as they decline tax revenue for the city declines, then the city cannot provide the kind of services that make downtown attractive and you and so on and so on these and that these become reinforcing trends and so i think that which has as i said been labeled the urban doom loop is kind of a worst case scenario and uh it, it could be quite quite bad if it comes to fulfillment but as i said there, there may there may be reasons why it, w- it won't quite spiral into a doom loop
6: have we seen patterns of of the suburbs used to just be a place to sleep right we call them the bedroom communities are we seeing a pattern at all of the nice restaurants and the nice theaters Uh, the, the other things that people would normally come downtown for are we seeing those pop up in the suburbs that maybe makes it so people feel like hey I'm getting everything out here I don't need to go downtown
7: yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. There's a combination of, of what's decentralizing out to the suburbs, what kind of activity is out there, whether that may be smaller theaters or some restaurants, and also what people can do online. So that shopping now is a reason to go downtown is not so much a motivation when you can buy all the same things um, from home on, on your couch. So I, I think the combination of those things uh, has removed one of the reasons that people used to like to come downtown.
6: Yeah, Michelle, you touched on, I think, the camaraderie, which is something you, you can't really measure that and yet all of us in some way or another know that it is essential. Um, Are are employers trying to sell that? In order, We we need the economic development. We need the workers downtown. And yet if employers don't somehow make that camaraderie attractive and and make people feel the necessity, people are going to say, I have friends where I live. I don't need to come downtown for that.
8: It's absolutely the truth. I think you hear a lot of companies use the phrase in person with a purpose, and so that purpose might be a volunteer event as an organization together. That purpose might be a day of training and come together. It could be an office potluck, um, but getting people together, we find we're better. Our production is better. Results are better. Camaraderie is better. Retention is better. And so, you know, I think you'll see a lot of companies be creative about their office space to lure more workers back in. But you know, quite frankly. What we find is that there's like 53% of managers want hybrid, 44% of employees want hybrid. So those numbers are starting to get real close where we all both want the same thing. Right. It's and just I a matter of how to do it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And exactly. a way that's
6: good for the company. Are there uh, and we'll talk more about some of the myths of what is going on in downtown here in just a few minutes. Uh, but I'm wondering if if an employer has to try to already work through some of those uh, maybe negative stereotypes about downtown, some of the things that, that people don't like uh, in order to say, no, really, it'll, it'll be worth it. Yeah, the commute. OK, it's long.
8: Yeah. All right. Fine.
6: But it, it will absolutely be worth it at least a few days a week.
8: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think a lot of companies are looking at Different ways, benefits, for example, what benefits could they offer? You know, maybe a commute expense um, to encourage people to just get into the office. Because what you find is once you get them in, they actually enjoy the experience and they want to be there. Yeah,
6: Chris, we talked a little bit about the culture. Let, let, let's dig a little deeper on that because. Uh, we, we think about uh, some of the nightlife and things that people can do in the suburbs, but in every major downtown in the country, uh, there are these great museums. You just can't replicate those in other places, and if they don't have the traffic, if they don't have people coming in, they're not going to be able to sustain themselves either. Uh, I'm guessing that they're in a unique position to have to say, you know, essentially, please come downtown, please continue to make use of this.
7: Yes, I, I think I think they need to to say please, but uh, at the same time, the, the, there's reasons those institutions are there and have been there for a long time, and there's reasons we've had downtowns and there's reasons we've had cities uh, for uh, thousands of years, and I, I think that you know when when the telephone was invented, people said, oh, it's going to be the death of cities. Now people can just talk on the phone. Why do they need to be downtown? And when the internet came, oh, it's going to be the death of cities. And what we found in both cases is that those technologies were actually complements to cities, not substitutes. And so I think, you know, working from home could be a complement to working in the office, not a substitute completely, not 100%. And so, I, as I said, there are strong reasons that have been around for a long time that, that people like concentrating in downtown areas and agglomerating, and those fundamental reasons aren't changing, even if people are working from home a little bit more than, than they did in the past.
6: And that is Christopher Berry, faculty director of the Mansueto Institute for Urban Innovation at the University of Chicago, along with Michelle Reisdorf, district president at Robert Half International. There's lots more to come, including other guests. Coming up, we're going to talk about the viral videos that we've all seen. They're all over social media, showing the very worst of downtown. What is fact and what is fiction when it comes to what we're seeing about America's downtowns? This is Odyssey Conversations, the state of downtown.
1: How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island
6: Whether it is St. Louis or New Orleans, Philadelphia, San Francisco, we've all seen viral videos pop up with some pretty concerning activities. Smash and grab robberies. Now they've turned into crash and grab robberies where vehicles are used. Carjacking, teen takeovers of parks. Let's discuss what those images mean and whether it's the reality or maybe it's just a myth of dangerous downtowns. I'm Cisco Cotto of WBBM in Chicago. This is the Odyssey Conversation, The State of Downtown. We're talking with Dr. Joseph Schwederman. He's director of the Chaddock Institute, professor in DePaul University's Graduate School of Public Service. Also, Michael Edwards is now joining us. He's president and CEO of the Chicago Loop Alliance and economic development expert. He's really working on creating an urban experience that attracts people to downtown. Uh, Joe, let's begin with you. you. You've done a lot of research on this. You've talked with colleagues all around the country. Uh, is it a myth that these downtowns in America are just filled with crime, or or, or is that really the reality?
10: You know, the, the pandemic really had kind of a recalibrating effect for people that they got away from downtown. They didn't weren't they're cooped up and so forth. And we did have this this terrible spike. We had fewer people on the streets, fewer people on transit, yet crime was up. So particularly during the pandemic you know, the per capita amount of crime was significantly higher than it was before. Of course, people saw that on TV, they saw the social unrest, people feel comfort in numbers, so if you're on an empty train, you're gonna feel a little less safe. You know, fortunately, things have gotten better, uh, quite a bit better. In Chicago, we've had uh, a real nice uh, improvement in the last year, but I think people's tolerance for that kind of risk has fallen, Though maybe 20 years ago, it's a fact of life in the city, you know, there's risk, now people, are, have, they're, they're hesitant. So I think we're, we're winning people back, but boy, there's still a lot of people that have written off, coming to the theater, being downtown after 8 p.m. The City's got some work to do to, to win them back.
6: And no matter how much you tell them, it's very rare. I mean, you have millions of people in New York City, millions of people in Los Angeles, uh, in Philadelphia, in Chicago, and, and the, the, the amount of crime, the chance of you actually being involved in one of these very, very rare. And yet, because these videos are viral and we see them over and over and over again, it's it's tough to break through that.
10: It is, and particularly here in Chicago, we have sort of a geographic problem. Have, uh, crime is so heavily concentrated in certain neighborhoods, certain parts of the city. Um, people often don't differentiate that, and so it's it's um, it's a branding problem, you might say, for downtown. I have to say, though, somebody comes downtown uh, almost every day. We're feeling that energy back, Chicago. And I'm just feeling that this fall, some things have clicked a bit. And uh, some of those perceptions are are gradually changing.
6: All the major cities have this, where you have certain areas, much less crime, other areas that are higher crime, and yet it all gets sort of lumped together. Uh, Michael Edwards, you have colleagues all around the country that you talk to. Uh, What are you hearing? Is that perception of downtowns being where the crime happens, is that uh, creating challenges for the rebound that everyone wants?
5: Uh, It certainly is. We had 1,500 of my colleagues from around the country, um, around the world here in Chicago a few weeks ago. And I think that that, they're going through the same thing we're going through, that uh, there's this perception that crime is out of control, which is not true. Uh, We have safety ambassadors on the street, and our interactions aren't up um, any more than they are sort of typically. We meet with the police and work with the police uh, uh, every month uh, to kind of go over the different things that we could do to make downtown feel safer. I mean, I think Joe's right that the more people that are downtown kind of doing the right thing, and it's the less obvious the people that might be doing the incorrect thing, and we'll all feel safer about that. So as downtown is coming back, and it certainly is coming back, um, I think everybody will feel safer.
6: And if you're talking about economic development downtown, if you have people staying away because of crime, how do you even begin to get new investment? How do you get new restaurants? How do you get new retail uh, in any of these downtowns, because a business owner, I guess, would be a little skittish about whether or not the business could survive if they get it launched.
5: Well, I think it's a real challenge, and you have to overcome that, and we, we have strategies to do that, um, but I think the economics of downtown are just going to be so strong eventually that they're just going to make a decision that this is the place to be. There are so many people that come downtown still. 175,000 workers come downtown a day. That's half of what we had before, but it's still a lot of people, And then the visitors into the evening, we had 800,000 people come down to live theater uh, and the museum's last quarter. And $200 million worth of investment. So there's energy, there's people that want to come back. I think there's also a generational thing going on here. And so that young people in your previous segment, we were talking about the younger employees and how they want to come downtown. I think that's true also of just younger people. They want an experience that's not just in their home are in their neighborhood and they're coming back downtown too.
6: And Joe, you, you especially research mass transit issues. Uh, We're seeing fewer people on mass transit, even if we do hear that the numbers are creeping up here and there, there's still way fewer people. That means fewer uh, dollars coming in in fares. Federal money is only gonna last so long to support that sort of mass transit. Uh, Talk about that challenge. How do you have a vibrant downtown unless you have uh, really excellent mass
10: transit? Oh, it's a great question. I think about this constantly because it's such a moving target. I mean, look at some cities like Seattle and Tampa and the Sunbelt. And transit's almost back there. And even in our region, Sunday travel is above pre-pandemic, Saturday in in some cases too. So people are coming to transit, but we've lost so many of those uh, white collar workers coming downtown. So transit's got to reinvent itself. Uh, In Chicago region, for example, um, a lot of people have shifted to the bus. They really feel comfortable. I walk on that bus, the driver sees me. We're gonna screen people coming in. I have a, a safe element here. I don't have to go in a basement to get on a subway. Uh, CTA trains, and we're getting close to 70%, which I think we would have celebrated a few years ago, and that's rising. But those commuter trains, they gotta reinvent themselves. People aren't taking the eight o'clock train coming in and going home on the five o'clock. They're got these hybrid lifestyles. And so we have to kind of reinvent the commuter train. And, and thankfully our agencies are seeing that uh, the status quo won't cut it anymore.
6: And Michael, there's a lot to downtown, but I'm thinking based on what Joe's saying, Fewer commuters must mean that those businesses that rely on those commuters, especially around the train stations and the bus stops, they have to be hurting because you just don't have as many customers.
5: Uh, that is true, um, and we lost a lot of the storefront economy, uh, restaurants, uh, a lot of fast casual, fast food sort of places that catered to the quick lunch for workers. Um, but we still have people coming down and visitors. Uh, that are uh, going to fine dining and ta- uh, white tablecloth restaurants that are packed before the theaters on the, you know throughout the week and on the weekends.
6: Does this just add to the importance of? bringing tourists into our downtowns and and cities around the country actively marketing their downtowns in order to get those tourists.
5: Absolutely. The folks we had in town uh, a few weeks ago from all over the uh, country, other downtowns, they were just so impressed with Chicago, how clean it is, how safe it is, just how wonderful it is. The weather really cooperated, so that was really great, too. (laughs) Um, But they really enjoyed uh, their experience in Chicago, and I think Uh, We're all, from Chicagoland, we're all very proud of our city. And, uh, you know, we're inviting people to come back and try it out again. We put on something called Sundays on State the last three years, really just to invite people to come back. We've had zero problems. Not one incident associated with over 100,000 people. Uh, for the last two uh, Sundays on state, so we're very confident that downtown's back.
6: And Joe, as a researcher, I mean, you deal with a lot of data and numbers crunching and that sort of thing. But to what Michael is saying, how important is just that word of mouth in changing perception? People saying, "Hey, I, I went to downtown, uh, you know, New Orleans. Right. Oh, it was great. I had, I had no problems."
10: Oh, it is, and you just see the um, shifts in the way people spend their money post-pandemic. I call Chicago the Taylor Swift effect. If you're down here on that day of that conference. Uh, concert. This is like nothing I've seen before. You know, people are singing and uh, on the street with their boom boxes and just just a blast. And I noticed that coming downtown. I'm in sort of the office district and I like you know, it seems a little quiet here. And I go north of Madison Street, which is kind of our dividing line and people are out there with shopping bags and selfies and double deck buses. So it's just really kind of situational where we're seeing the rebound. And uh, as Mike said, um you know, when people sit at their home all day working, they want to come downtown. It's where the action is. In Chicago, you know, we've really been able to... Uh leverage that tourism business. So that's uh, that's been a driving force.
6: Yeah, there, there's an energy to downtown. I mean, Michael, is that one of the things that, that people around the country are pitching to say? Uh, the crime, there's crime always will be in big cities, but it's not nearly as bad as it's made out to be or, or as you might see on social media. And when you do come, there's just this energy of having all these people and all this activity.
5: Yeah, there's a lot of FOMO, fear of missing out. And so we, we as, from our social media uh, um, perspective, And we try to demonstrate to people that they're really missing out if they don't come downtown. It's their downtown, they should come down and enjoy it. Everybody, not just the folks up north, not just the folks down south, but everybody should come down and enjoy everyone's neighborhood.
6: That's Michael Edwards, president and CEO of the Chicago Loop Alliance, and Dr. Joe Schwederman, director of the Chaddick Institute, professor in DePaul University's Graduate School of Public Service for Metropolitan Development. Still more to come. In fact, we're going to talk about not only those myths, but also a reevaluation of what downtown is really all about. Who is it for Is it the commuters? Is it the residents? Is it the tourists? Is it some combination of all of those people? You're listening to Odyssey Conversations, the state of downtown. Welcome back to Odyssey Conversations, the state of downtown. I'm Cisco Cotto from WBBM in Chicago. We're now going to talk about downtowns and who they're really for. Is it about re-engaging the people who live in downtown? Is it about attracting businesses, office workers, and tourists? Is it some combination? We're seeing this in several areas all around the country, a rethinking of who downtown is for joining us michael edwards president and ceo of the chicago loop alliance chris berry he's faculty director of the mansueto institute for urban innovation at university of chicago and michael Kogelis, ceo of big city optical and we'll hear a little more about that as a success story in just a moment i want to begin though with uh, with you michael edwards talking about downtown office space Uh, We hear about this all the time. Oh, there just aren't as many people working downtown. Uh, I looked at some numbers. Cushman, Wakefield, they keep regular track of this. And and frankly, the numbers aren't so great. Nationally, the office vacancy rate just under 20%. Uh, You have Detroit at about 20% vacancy. Dallas at about 21%. St. Louis, 18%. I mean, It just goes on and on. Chicago set a record recently for downtown vacancy. Some of that is because new buildings are coming online, and so you just have more available office space, and yet some of it is because not as many companies are renting that space. Uh, Talk about some of the challenges that you've seen and heard about as you've been talking with people all around the country on on having all this office space just sitting empty.
5: Right, so great point. Um, Prior to the pandemic, there was a slow leak of office space out of the Loop, Chicago Loop to Fulton Market and and other areas on the the periphery of, of our traditional downtown. So that was all accelerated with the pandemic. So now people are paying actually twice as much for half as much space in Fulton Market. We think eventually that will tip back to the loop, but it's amazing the difference in the prices. In terms of human occupancy, not rental, you know, rented space, but human occupancy, we're at about 55%. So we're not as good as some of the cities in Texas or some of the southern cities that never really closed during the pandemic. But we're way better than a lot of other ones, San Francisco and others. Um, so we're, you know, kind of in the middle of the pack in terms of people returning to the office.
6: Now, I want to talk with Michael kugelish a Big City Optical. Uh, pitches itself as your neighborhood eyeglass store, which I think is really great in that it's in Chicago. It's also in some of the Chicago suburbs, and yet each location is really trying to attract people right in that area. Uh, Michael, we'll hear a little more about your story later and how you you really labored through the pandemic and and survived it really well. We'll hear more about that in a moment, Uh, but just talk about the importance of downtown and having people here, people living here, people working here, tourists. I mean, you, you really need all those, I would imagine, in order for your business to succeed
0: Cisco. i think what we've seen is the community is the most important thing that's happening for us in chicago because what hasn't changed is that people still live here Um, they may not live in the loop although we've all heard a bunch of conversations that you know some of the high-rises could be turning into living quarters but that being said our communities to the north of downtown to the west they're quite vibrant And so as the pandemic let loose of the country, we found that people were just coming out of their house even more. And they really never wanted to just be secluded. They wanted to be part of their community. And that was what was missed. Certainly... Uh, not having the workers come back as quickly, that has affected um, certain areas, but not the rest of the city.
6: Yeah, that need, and we've talked about that, it seems like every segment, that, that just keeps coming back up. and We need each other. We need that sort of community. Uh, Chris, talk about uh, how communities in downtown specifically are having to innovate, rethink that community space. Uh, I'm thinking when I look at some retail spaces, I travel quite a bit. Uh, I see not so much shopping everywhere as much as these group experiences, uh, these uh, places where you can come together, whether it's workers or friends or whatever, and, and hang out for an hour or two and really have a great time.
7: Yes, I think, I think you're right. The rationale for downtown as a shopping place was already precarious even before the pandemic. I, I, and I think because of internet shopping, even if it hadn't been for the pandemic, that those kind of major shopping strips of downtowns would have been threatened regardless and the pandemic accelerated that. So I think we're seeing less rationale for a shopping area and more, as you said, for experiential, for lifestyle, for entertainment. And uh, as I said, that's just a natural evolution of the city and, and the downtown areas that move from centers of production to centers now of more of consumption and, and, and entertainment. And I think we're just seeing that maybe accelerated a bit by the pandemic. I also think when you talk about land uses, that, that's also an area of some transformation now. There's a lot of people working to try to transform some former office spaces to a more residential use. And you know, if these vacancy rates that we're seeing of 20% plus are going to be more long run and permanent, then we need to repurpose those buildings. And th- that's really complicated from an engineering perspective, and some buildings are more suitable for it than others. But I certainly think there's no reason to expect those buildings are just going to stay empty forever, but they'll find uh, new uses.
6: When people think about new uses... You think office or residential, you know, you just sort of stop there when you think about those. Are there other things that people are, these ideas that are percolating for using those spaces? You're talking hundreds of thousands of square feet in cities.
7: Yes. And I think some of are massive entertainment complexes coming in downtown and lots of cities uh, have them. And, uh, uh, you know, Things that are taking off in Chicago have to do with ping pong, massive ping pong parlors for example. And there's all kinds of entertainment uh, uses. It's also important to remember when we talk about a 20% vacancy rate, it doesn't mean that every building downtown has 20% uh, empty, it's really concentrated in a few buildings. So. Uh, you know, class, what we call Class A are really the more newer, nicer office buildings tend to still be doing pretty well in terms of occupancy. And, you know, your your less nice buildings have more vacancy, and some are more or less amenable to conversion to residential.
6: Uh, Michael Edwards, talk about is there maybe a benefit here to people who are looking for office space? Are they in a better position to negotiate? Or are, are the people who own these places saying, hey, I, I, have, I have debt that I have to pay. I've got a certain level that I need to stick to.
5: Well, I think everybody's kind of um, uh, uh, keeping their powder dry at the moment, and so it's a it's a, it's a very precarious situation right now. That the, the notion is that maybe in 24 later 24, some of these properties will start to move. Property owners will start to you know swallow uh, what they need to swallow in terms of losses, and and some people may pay, be willing to pay a little bit more than they would have otherwise. So. It's, it happened after the Great Recession, it's gonna happen again, some people are gonna get hurt, uh, large property owners, but uh, 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 but eventually we'll get to an equilibrium where people will start coming back.
6: And that's the difficult thing is if, if only we knew when, if only we knew, <laughs> give it 18 months and everything will be back to what, whatever normal is going to be and yet, it's just sort of hanging out there where there will be a new normal. We just don't know what it is and who's going to survive and who's not going to. You're
5: absolutely to. right. Absolutely.
6: Yeah. Michael Kogelis, let's talk about uh, eyeglass stores, walk-by traffic. I, I don't know if that's something that, that really impacts you or not, just simply having more bodies around. Uh, is that something that we've probably seen less of? And it, does it impact small businesses like yours?
0: I certainly think that the easiest way of getting new clients is when they walk by. And so peak traffic is something that we look for when we're when we're researching a new location to move into. And all of our stores are in these shopping centers because we, we don't we're not we're trying to quickly uh, become part of the community. We need people to see us very clearly. Um, but at the same time, there are plenty of businesses that bring people in just as a result of them having an offering that is significant enough to its clients. And so that's the part where I think, you know, the, the owners have to be very careful around who they bring in to lease facilities and to make sure it creates enough of a draw.
6: Yeah, and wanting them to, to really commit to being there for a while, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it seems like that would be pretty essential. It is. Let's talk about small businesses and even some larger retail in the downtown area. That's going to be the focus when we return. It's a real roller coaster for businesses. There are opportunities. There are challenges, all of them in the downtown areas around the United States. We'll talk to some people who are wrestling with those business challenges coming up next on Odyssey Conversations, the state of downtown. Whether you're listening in Buffalo, San Francisco, St. Louis, New Orleans, downtown is an important part of the local economy. From mom-and-pop businesses to blue-chip retailers, the great restaurants, the exciting tours and experiences, but with fewer people in downtown areas, what does it take in order to take the plunge and open a business? What does it take to really thrive in owning a business in these downtown areas? Joining us to talk about this, Michael Kogela, CEO of Big City Optical, a neighborhood eyeglass store with more than a dozen locations in the Chicago area. And we welcome Lakeisha Hunter, owner of That Jerk Spot, a culinary business here in the Chicago area. Lakeisha, tell us just sort of briefly a little bit about your business because not only do you have all this great food, but you're actually mentoring young people in Chicago and really getting them involved in the business as well.
2: Yes, being a native of Englewood um, area, where I took culinary arts in high school, went on to um, graduate college um, in culinary, I went into the food service industry, stayed there now for over like 35 years, uh, from Odyssey downtown, um, Navy Pier, to now owning my own um, food truck. and. Yes, I do. I train at-risk youth um, on entrepreneurship skills, culinary skills, and even those reentering society, given second chances. It's hard to get a job with backgrounds, you know? Yeah. So now you could be your own entrepreneur. You know, you can get a business license easier then you can get a job with the background that they have. So I inspire and I encourage in the area of culinary and for my community, whatever area that they're looking to become better, anything to help them become better. um, I try to bring in the resources to help them get to that point.
6: The Odyssey is a tour boat company on the Chicago River, on Lake Michigan in Chicago. Uh, There are uh, uh, different cruises like this all around the country. Now, this is... High end, really nice, you got tourists, you have people who are just looking for a night out who live in the area. Uh, talk about uh, the challenge, I would imagine, for a business like that or others in in getting people down in order to take advantage of all of the great things that are out there. If people are scared, if people are comfortable wherever they are living, it, it seems like that's difficult for those businesses to keep it going.
2: Absolutely. Now, the Odyssey is a beautiful boat, and the experience from the staff. I was a restaurant manager there. I was a hostess first and then restaurant management. So there are jobs where... You You know, you can grow and become in in high level in the business. The tourists, Chicago is still a number one tourist location. You know, still a destination where people would like to visit. And with crime being at its peak, um, we still see, when I go to Navy Pier, the crowd is still there. How does it affect Odyssey and those other businesses there? That's the only place they do feel safe. You know, when I take my kids there and I bring some of the in-city the youth down to Navy Pier to broaden their horizons to get them out of the neighborhood of crime, they're looking, they're not afraid. They're not afraid of someone that they see from another community or someone that's their opposition coming to, you know, harm them. They're comfortable. So I don't think it's a problem in the downtown area as much as it's being publicized.
6: Yeah, yeah some of those myths, perhaps. Uh, Michael Kogelis, I'm interested in your story because you had COVID hit and everything got shut down. Obviously, that impacts business. Uh, George Floyd was murdered. There was all sorts of uh, looting and violence and protests when that happened. Your shops got broken into, and you could have just packed it up. At that point, you could have said, all right, I- I'm done with this. I'm out of here. You didn't. You rebuilt You double down on downtown, and you're reaping the benefits. You're you're actually seeing that that was a wise investment. Talk about the thought process there, because there had to be a point where where you said, enough is enough. I'm out of here.
0: Sure. I think that um, any entrepreneur goes into their respective business with grand visions of the future. And so I think you just have to make sure that those visions stay bright as you are met with challenges, because for sure you will experience challenges. I think that the obvious ones were the pandemic hit and uh, and then we did ha- have the follow-up riots and whatnot. Um, but those are just two different challenges of the list of challenges that you encounter. And so I'd say that you know my partner and I, we've been very resolute in always looking at every, um, everything that comes up as an opportunity to grow, to expand. Um, and what we found is that we work with a great group of people that really drink the Kool-Aid and they see the vision. They're excited about being part of it. And our clients, those, those individuals, like, give us a tremendous amount of fuel. I, I share with people often, because we've been in business for six years, we have nearly 100,000 patients um, in a short period of time at, with our company, it's hard to walk into a restaurant or a bar in the city of Chicago and not, um, in one in four people, they've been to Big City Opticals. So yeah, I think you've got there's a little bit of uh, you know a little bit of pride that goes into that, and I think that's what makes you fight through the
6: challenges. Yeah, word of mouth ends up being so huge; people know that they can trust different businesses in the area. Now, Lakeisha, the culinary business specifically, a food truck. There have to be, as you try to really thrive in this post-pandemic world, there have to be benefits to being innovative and saying, hey, with this food truck, you know, I don't have the rent that a lot of restaurants have. And if things aren't going on in one part of the city, I can go to another part of downtown and try to make something happen there. Uh, that that has to be a way to really help yourself during a time like this.
2: Absolutely. That was the that was the boast of um my food trailer, I have a trailer. And Chicago actually does not license food trailers. So you have to go through other um, avenues to become licensed to be able to operate in Chicago and to be able to be downtown. I'm mostly um, in the suburbs. And with being in a food truck or a food trailer, um, the, the positive of that is, like you said, we can go wherever we want, um, suburb to suburb, community to community, and still make money that we would have made in, normally in a brick and mortar. It took us like a whole week to make, and now you can make it in less time. So that was a big up for um, me in the, in the pandemic, and when things went haywire and restaurants closing, I'm not around a lot of people. So it's about how I serve now. So it was an advantage for me to be able to serve my community and other communities that spot stood the test and won.
6: Yeah, I'm interested in both of your takes on on some of those. It's great to be able to be nimble, and yet there are all these challenges. Michael mentioned that a moment ago. It's just one challenge after another. You have inflation. Uh, The prices of your products are going up. That means you have to charge more, and I'm sure your customers aren't necessarily happy about that and yet you have to do it. We'll begin with Michael. Just just talk about maybe some advice on navigating those challenges because it's not just you, it's not just small business owners, it's all business owners in any downtown that are navigating some of the same challenges. When we
0: when we talk about pricing or when we when the topic of pricing comes up with our team, we quickly shift to value. Value is really what a what is what the client understands when they decide to buy something whether it's a great dish at a restaurant an amazing experience or a pair of glasses from us they're looking to see well what else do i get for the cost of this product and because we're so focused on value very rarely does price become an issue sometimes we need to bump it up a little bit just because that's the, the reality of everything that's costing more. Uh, but at the same time, we look for ways that we can make a better experience for the client where they see an even greater value and they don't feel like they're now just spending more for the same thing, but rather they're spending a little bit more for something better.
6: Yeah, LaKeisha. With food, maybe it's even easier because we have these taste buds, and we love we love good food. Uh, does that make it easier for you at all? As you're probably having to raise prices like everyone else because of inflation?
2: Yes, I, I, it is easier for me because I have a backstory. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a mm-hmm. Chicago gang leader, and now turn my life around. You know, through the through culinary, and so it's about quality over quantity with my target audience. So no matter, you know, I've gone up twice since pandemic because of the price um, gouging and, you know, and my customers are still loyal because they support what I support and I support the underserved community. And so they will continue to give and understand that, you know, we will help you stay afloat to get things accomplished and for you to stay in business. Yeah, I
6: feel like there's a mission there, It is right? Yeah, and they want to be a part of that, yeah. Still to come, we're going to talk about the future of downtown We've talked about some of the challenges and some of the history. But if we need downtowns to thrive, there's going to have to be innovation. There's going to have to be change. What exactly does that look like? That's what we're going to talk about next on Odyssey Conversations, the state of downtown. Welcome back to Odyssey Conversations, the state of downtown. I'm Cisco Coto with WBBM in Chicago. It's prediction time. We've talked about the past. We've talked about what's going on right now in downtowns all around the country. Now we want to talk about where we have to go for the future. What does the future of America's downtowns look like? I'm joined by Michael Edwards, President and CEO of the Chicago Loop Alliance, Dr. Joe Schwederman, Director of the Chaddick Institute, a professor at DePaul University, and Christopher Berry, Faculty Director of the Mansueto Institute for Urban Innovation at University of Chicago. Uh, We'll just go down the line here. Chris, we will begin with you first. In order to have thriving downtowns all around America, what, what sort of changes do you think you need to make? What sort of innovation do we need?
7: Well, I think the answer is going to be a little bit different from place to place. Not every downtown has to look exactly the same or have the exactly the same combination of experiences and businesses. Downtown Chicago is not the same as New York or Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I think there will be certain combinations that exist everywhere, restaurants, offices, experiences, but I think this is really incumbent on each mayor of a city to really think this through and have an economic vision that they can communicate to the business owners, both those that are already in their city, but importantly, to those who might be thinking of coming. What's your, why should you be investing in that city? Why should people in the suburbs come in for the weekend? Why should, uh, you know, workers come in to work? And I think the answer can be a little bit different, and the real job of mayors right now is to grapple with the unique advantages of their city in order to make this compelling case for these different audiences.
6: Joe how, how how do we need to change in order to have thriving downtowns?
10: You know, we're seeing some pretty favorable trends, which I think point the way. I mean, here in Chicago, the fact we have a bit of a residential boom happening downtown. I mean, who would have thought of that? 18 months ago in the middle of the pandemic that people are coming downtown to live and people are spreading out so they want bigger spaces so that is absorbing a lot of real real estate we're hopeful that this office to residential conversion changing offices to you know to living can happen there's some exciting proposals in chicago so we really see more of a balance between that commercial education and residential happening and um, people have money to spend, so you know the metrics are really good on, on hotel spending and so forth. But boy, transitioning from office uh, to this
6: more mixed economy is really where the money is. Michael Edwards, what do we need for the future of downtowns across the country?
5: Well, uh, the uh, you know the pandemic and the health associated with, uh, health issues associated with that changed our behavior. Uh, the murder of George Floyd changed our awareness and really sort started, of started, uh, triggered a whole new generation of folks that are really the future of downtown. So one of the things we've done in Chicago is really embrace this notion of equity and that downtown Chicago, uh, the loop is everyone's neighborhood. And so from our uh, the, the way we now recruit vendors to the way that we uh, uh, have vendor um, uh, vendors at our uh, events is all about making sure it's open to everyone. And so our Sundays on State and some other things we do. So this notion of equity and that there's a whole raft of people out there that have never been invited to our downtowns, not just in Chicago, but a- around the world. Uh, there's real power in those folks. They're smart, they got money, um, and they deserve an opportunity to be part of the energy that's downtown.
6: Yeah, and up until now, they've felt that it's just not for them. Absolutely. If, if they don't Correct. work down there, or if, if they're not someone who's really, really wealthy, then it's not for them, and they don't even feel the invitation. Correct. Uh, Chris, I'm, t- I'm trying to imagine a future that is all 20th, Story pickleball courts and escape rooms and, uh, you know, no, no one wants to think that way. And yet we have to be willing to think outside the box if we're going to get all this space used and get people downtowns.
7: Absolutely. And I mean, the good news is that you and I don't have to imagine that future. There's lots of entrepreneurs out there and (laughs) innovators who will innovate it and create it for us. And I think, you know, it's sometimes a mistake to think that we can plan this. I know urban planners spend a lot of time designing, you know, different parts of the city for different purposes and allocating certain space for this or that. But some of the most exciting and vibrant cities in the world were those that emerged organically. Uh, And I believe that. The future of our cities and our downtowns will also emerge organically, and there will probably be lots of uses you and I don't know about right now. Uh, but the 20 years from now, we'll all be out having fun doing something uh, that uh, the market will, will end up innovating, uh, regardless of what we might plan here today.
6: And, yeah, for decades, it's been either someone's going to sit in a cubicle in this space or this is going to be a condo or an apartment. And we, we can't just be that rigid anymore in our thinking.
7: Yes. I mean, for a long time, people have been saying maybe even just this distinction be- between a, an office use and a residential use. I mean, why isn't it both? Why should it, one space sit empty for half of the day that I, you know, uh, my office is empty for the half the day I'm at home and my home is empty for the half the day in my office? Maybe that's not the future. Maybe that's not a good use of the space.
6: Yeah. Joe, we've talked about uh, the, the sort of uh, part time space, you know, where you, you have people that commute in two, three days a week. Uh, WeWork recently filed for bankruptcy, yeah. showing that there's just some difficulties in that model. Uh, There have to be, to Chris's point, there have to be ways to use this space for more hours in a day and not just for 24 or 48. And we're seeing that. The employers are bringing people
10: back, but the office configuration is different. And in my family, I hear that, that we'll pay your Uber to come downtown, but we're going to do lunches together. We're going to have social activity tied to work. And it's really kind of reinventing what that office experience is. And I think. Here in Chicago, we're we're kind of an advantage to that, because downtown has all these uh, cool amenities. Um, But something you said, Chris, about uh, difficult predicting the future when I study zoning, we almost get it wrong every time. This neighborhood's (laughs) gonna grow, this one's (laughs) gonna shrink, and here in Chicago, suddenly, everybody's gone to the Fulton Market area, this hot area on the west of town that nobody saw coming. So I think you're right, to sort of let that entrepreneurship grow And don't think we can can have a crystal ball to know how this is going to turn out.
6: Yeah, 2020 hindsight (laughs) is great. I mean, it it really is. I think we all have that. Uh, Michael Edwards, any headwinds as we think about the future of downtowns? Uh, You you have so many things that have gone over the last few years, obviously. Do you see any pressures right now that may keep some of these downtowns from thriving?
5: Well, I do think this uh, commute to work is an issue. And uh, here in Chicago and probably in lots of other cities that are listening, uh, you know, A a coordination between uh, the CDOT, um, or the uh, Department of Transportation, and and downtown was never a conversation that was needed before, but maybe it is now. And uh, so commuting to work, I think, and the cost and time associated with that is is a real hindrance, and we need to do something about that.
6: And, Joe, many mass transit agencies around the country are dealing, as we mentioned earlier, uh, less money, fewer riders... And what that's meaning is maybe trains aren't running as often, buses aren't running as often, that just discourages people, and then they try to find alternate routes. Uh, that has to be something I'd say it needs to be a pretty significant focus on how that's going to work, and especially financially.
10: Oh, it certainly is. And in the days of running these giant double-deck or bi-level six-car trains that carry thousands of people, maybe that's not the future. Shorter trains that run every 20 minutes, more um, flexible, midday service, we're doing that in Chicago with some success here on a couple of lines. And in the middle of this, we have all these innovative things happening. scooter use is exploding. A lot of trans agencies are partnering with Uber and Lyft saying we gotta build this ecosystem that allows people to use lots of different modes. And that's kind of been been an exciting paradigm shift because agencies were so reluctant to experiment three, four years ago. Now they're, uh, they're open to just about anything.
6: Yeah, there was a lot of tension. They, they sort of yeah. felt like they were in competition not mm-hmm. that long ago. Now they see it's really a matter of survival. Uh, Chris, Michael earlier uh, was talking uh, a little bit about um, the need to innovate, the need to bring people downtown, the, the need to have a, a variety of different experiences for them and, and really trying to figure out who is downtown for. As you're talking to people doing research, Do you really think that downtown is for all of these groups of people? We're talking tourists. You need something for them. We're talking people who live here. We need something for them. You're talking about the office workers, whether it's Monday through Friday or just on Wednesday. Do do we really need something for all of those people in order to thrive?
7: Well, I would say the most exciting downtowns we know of are the ones that have that something for everyone. Now, they don't have something for everyone on every block and every minute of the day, but the most exciting cities in the world are those that bring in tourists and bring in uh, uh, people during the day who might live somewhere else, and that there's work that goes on there, and that there's also play that goes on there, and there's excitement. So. Yeah, I think in the end, a downtown that is only for some subset of the people is unlikely to achieve the kind of success that a downtown that's more uh, exciting and inclusive will will achieve and has historically achieved.
6: Yeah, and historically, has it been that sort of a culture that, uh, hey, you're not welcome down here. We're not going to say that, but we're just not going to create what you're interested in or can afford anyway.
7: Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, I think that. Historically, there have been groups excluded from downtown to the detriment of downtown. Uh, and again, the more inclusive we can become, the more vibrant downtown could be. And I think, I think we're getting, uh, in most places, past that moment where we try to set up a downtown where people f- feel uncomfortable or certain kinds of people don't feel comfortable uh, coming down anymore. And that again will just be to the benefit of the of the whole downtown.
6: And Joe, in your research, are you seeing the pattern shifting? I mean, we really want the last few years to get past us in many ways. Are you seeing the pattern shifting where people are reinvesting and are getting back downtown and really feeling like, oh, okay, this this is safe again. This is an experience I want.
10: You know, every month we do see additional signs of just that life coming back, and the street performers are back, and uh, this, of course cultural events are above pre-pandemic. Campus activity is good, and I think you know these things are different now. People tend to go home earlier when they come in on the train. They may head out at 3:30 or 4, and it's not as busy at rush hour. Um, But we're also seeing um, that Tuesday-Wednesday phenomena. People are coming down the middle of the week, it's sort of a greed day, we're gonna be together, and then it's uh, quite the opposite of before, where Friday was the busiest. So all that's settling out, but uh, in the middle of it all, I think uh, the trends are pointing in a pretty good direction.
6: And Michael, one of the things that you monitor regularly is foot traffic. So you have to be seeing that coming back, which has to be pretty exciting.
5: Yeah, we have it on our high street, uh, State Street. And so it's up 9% from last year, same quarter last year, which is great. Uh, we're averaging about 75% of pre-pandemic levels, which is uh, you know better than it was. Um, it's not uh, um, you know gonna get us over the hump in terms of retail recruitment, but it's good. It's a good start.
6: Thanks so much to all of our guests. There you have it, a comprehensive look at the state of downtown in America. No question, every downtown is going through a huge shift, and that shift is not over. Ripple effects on residents, businesses, commuters, tourists. There are a lot of questions that are still not answered, and we will continue looking at them as downtowns move forward in a post-pandemic world. Thanks so much for being with us. I'm Cisco Cotto at WBBM in Chicago. We will see you again for the next Odyssey Conversations.